Hello and welcome to Next on WQL and I'm your host Marcus Atkinson. If you get an opportunity, go to our Facebook page and like the page. If you have an opportunity, go to Twitter at 814 Next. Lend your voice to the dialogue. Today, we take on a topic that we have actually debated in studio for quite some time. We didn't really debate. I spoke to the producers about it and I said, you know, I've been thinking about doing a show on uh, abortion rights. And he and I just kind of looked at each other and said, why not? One of the reasons that I've never taken this on in the six plus years that I've been on air here on WQLM is that it is arguably the most divisive topic in on the American landscape. And when you take this topic on, people, right, wrong, or indifference, dig their heels in on whatever their position is. And I find that oftentimes people don't necessarily hear each other. They're waiting for their opportunity to say, well, this is what I think. And so uh, in view of what's going on right now with the Supreme Court potential ruling, uh, we felt that we would be remiss if we didn't do a show on this. We'll do two parts. This is part one. Part one, full disclosure, we have three guests that in large part are, um, their outlook is a woman has a right to choose. They are pro-choice. And so those three women on the show today, we have Christy Ganibis. Christy, welcome to the show. Thank you. We've got Molly Brechtel of Erie County United. Molly, welcome to the show. Thank you. And Heather Garzinski. Heather, welcome to the show. Thank you. All right, and so we called these three ladies to give their personal opinions and their personal outlook on this potential ending of Roe v. Wade. But to start this, I want to read a synopsis from a Time.com article by Nick Popley. It was written on uh, May 3rd, 2022, because I think it summarizes it well. And then we'll go to our guests to see where they were and just what their initial thoughts were when they heard about this leaked document. And so what did the Supreme Court say about Roe v. Wade? In the 98-page draft decision, Alito offered a harsh repudiation of the Supreme Court's previous landmark rulings on abortion. According to the 1973 case Roe v. Wade, with subsequent 1992 case Planned Parenthood v. Casey, which upheld the constitutional right to an abortion establishing Roe, Roe was egregiously wrong from the start, Alito wrote. Its reasoning was exceptionally weak, and the decision has had damaging consequences. And far from bringing about a national settlement of the abortion issue, Roe and Casey have inflamed debate and deepened division, Alito wrote. According to Politico, Justices Clarence Thomas, Neil Gorsuch, Brett Kavanaugh, and Amy Coney Barrett, all Republican appointed, had signed on to Alito's opinion. Liberal justices Stephen Breyer, Sonia Sotomayor, and Elena Kagan planned to dissent, political reported, and it's unclear how Chief Justice John Roberts planned to vote. Side note, many people debate that that is no longer an issue, then more than likely he will side with the Republican-appointed justices. But back to the article. The Constitution makes no reference to abortion, again, quoting um, Judge Alito. The Constitution makes no reference to abortion, and no such right is implicitly protected by any constitutional provision, end quote. The draft opinion goes on to read, It is time to heed the Constitution and return the issue of abortion to the people's elected representatives. The opinion also states that the right to abortion is not protected by the 14th Amendment's due process clause, which guarantees some rights not mentioned in the Constitution, 
and is the backbone of several other major Supreme Court rulings, including the legislation of same-sex marriage in Oberfell versus Hodges, the right to birth control in Griswold versus Connecticut, and the criminalization of anti-sodomy laws in Lawrence versus Texas. Alito said these rights have to be rooted in the nation's history and tradition in order to be protected by the 14th Amendment. The inescapable conclusion, he goes on to say, is that a right to abortion is not deeply rooted in the nation's history and traditions, citing that abortion had once been a crime in every state. Roe either ignored or misstated this history, and Casey declined to reconsider Roe's faulty historical analysis. It is therefore important to set the record straight. Again, these are quotes from Justice Alito, end quote. And so, Heather, we'll start with you. What was your reaction to this leak? And where were you when you heard this? Because I think this would be one of those moments, 911, things along those lines where people are like, I was at such and such with so and so when I heard this. Where were you and what were your thoughts? I believe I was on Twitter. And uh, I like Twitter because it'll give you hashtags of like things that are going on that you can do further research. It's not, you know, the the end of research, but um, excuse me, I I knew it was coming down down the pike. My mom is a staunch Republican, and that's always something that she said about the Supreme Court justices, and so on and so forth that they overturn Wade and save the babies, but. Um, when I did more research of it, I, you know, prior to this, when I when I found out, I was kind of uh, disturbed. Gotcha. And the Republican thing is interesting. Before we go on to our other guests, upon research, I mean, this it's interesting how it seems the political landscape has shifted on this particular topic. When I saw that Mr. Conservative had signed this thing in California, Ronald Reagan, I thought, my goodness, how different is it? Then versus now, and by and large, Republicans found themselves signing on to a woman's right to choose at that time. It was very, very fascinating. But I'll go back to our guest, Molly. Where were you when you heard about this? What were your initial thoughts? First of all, let me reintroduce myself. I'm in one in four American women that's had an abortion. And I remember the night of the leak, I started receiving text messages, people reaching out. How was I doing? What were my thoughts? I'll be honest in saying when Texas passed the six-week ban, I was physically sick because I had my procedure, my health care procedure at six weeks. As far as the Supreme Court, um, we expected that. Erie County United has been organizing since January around this issue. Um, I wasn't shocked. I wasn't surprised. And actually, we've been waiting for this moment. This isn't about any election. It's about long-term organizing. Um, and let's be honest and frank, if we talk about American history and tradition, we've never had a woman president. Mm-hmm. We've never had a woman governor in Pennsylvania. We've never had a woman senator. Just because things aren't a part of our history doesn't mean they need to change. We need better representation. We need a voice. We need our rights. And our health care should not be criminalized. Mm-hmm. So my reaction was, we're ready. We're going to organize. We're going to bring in more women, more allies and build the biggest fight that they've ever seen. Mm. Christy, same thing. Where were you and what were your thoughts when you heard about this? I think at first it was slight disbelief. 
Uh, then when I started seeing it hit multiple different headlines, I was like, okay, this is actually, this is real. This is happening. Uh, also, not incredibly surprised. I think a lot of people, you know, saw this coming as well. Uh, we've been seeing it coming for, I would say, decades. Uh, it's It's been something that's been used as a political pawn. Women in general, our rights um, have been used as a political pawn. And I'm ready to fight, too. I am tired of having my rights um, put up for, uh, you know, I would say a political game. And I have two teenage daughters, and I want to make sure that they have the same rights that I had. I don't want us to go backwards. And I really think that we need to have an honest and frank conversation about what this could actually mean for the future if we do not uh, codify, you know, figure out how we are going to either codify Roe or or change the way that things are going to move forward. Mm-hmm. So, Molly, you mentioned gender. I, again, with the research, I found it fascinating. 1973, when this thing, when Roe v. Wade was decided, there were no women on the bench at that time. It was actually all men. That's right. What do you make of that versus now? Because obviously, when it comes to this particular topic, the one of the biggest pushbacks is, you know, men have very big opinions on the matter, but it's a woman's body. At the same time, these were all men who made the decision at the time. Women had a right to choose this. What do you make of that? Taxation without representation. Mm-hmm. And the fact of the matter is it's not just about the Supreme Court. If we look at Harrisburg, which is a key battleground, mm-hmm. we have one of the worst representations of women in our state house and state senate in this country. I'm ashamed of that, and that needs to change. We need our voices to be heard. We need to be represented. We need to elect more women. So electing more women, obviously that's at the epicenter of this argument from either one of your vantage points, Heather or or um, Christy. Is that something, obviously, Christy, you ran for public mm-hmm. office before. Mm-hmm. Uh, my guess is that you are staunch advocates for more female representation in politics. What's your outlook on that particular issue? Well, we absolutely need representation. How can someone know what it's like <laughs> to be pregnant if you've never been pregnant or or to raise a family on your own or to be it's 2022 and to walk into a bank and apply for a loan and have them still say where's your husband or or do you have someone else with you or who's going to represent you these are things that are still happening today in 2022 of course we need representation uh i mean we need to be able to have a voice and say, I've actually physically gone through this. I know what it's like to be pregnant or I know what it's like to be sick and pregnant. You know, for my example, I had cancer when I was pregnant with my first daughter. Mm-hmm. Choice is very important to me. It, it could have been life or death for me. And that's what we're really talking about here. And so we need women to be able to speak to that, right. to say, this is an experience I had. I want to make it better for all women so that we can have equal rights. But right now I feel like we're we're going backwards. Mm-hmm. And that is not the way that we need to be moving. And what you said, I think, is incredibly important. Men did support this. And I, I think a lot of men still do. And we still need them to. Right. But again, this has turned into something else. Right. Because I think overall, most people do recognize that this should be a legal choice. Is it something that people want to do? No. But it's something that we necessarily need and it needs to be safe and legal, mm-hmm. period. Mm-hmm. Molly. And we can't take the fact 
out of this that this is an attack on women. We are not talking about criminalizing vasectomies. We are not talking about criminalizing assault rifles. We are not talking about the children at our border that have a heartbeat. This isn't about life. This is about control. Mm -hmm. And American women deserve freedom. It's a position that's held by a lot of people. You know, I, I listened to a conversation at a church before, and this conversation was kind of bantered back and forth. And one of the points that was made was that I think was very powerful. A lot of people will draw a line in the sand citing religious beliefs, quote unquote. And the point was made that there are women throughout churches all over America, women in position in churches all over America, women who vote Republican, women who, women who vote Democrat, who have had this medical procedure done. And so you can't just put this thing in a box and say, you know, here's a kind of woman, quote unquote, that's having this procedure. She needs to be stopped. Well, no, 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 no. As Molly's pointing out, this is a decision for various reasons that women from a lot of different backgrounds have made. And so how do you legislate that? Heather, give us your thoughts here. So I just want to start out by explaining like the Roe versus Wade. When she was pregnant, it was in the late 1960s. It was in Texas. She didn't, something was going on with the guy that she was pregnant by. She did not want to carry the pregnancy to term. In Texas, it was only legal to get an abortion unless you were raped. So she had told them that she was raped. After I call it an interrogation, she um, admitted that she wasn't. And so she fought for her right to have an abortion. She ended up having the baby. She did not have an abortion because it had not been, Roe wasn't um, legislator figured out till 73. But when she went into the court, I believe it was 1972, a judge looks at her, says to another judge, she doesn't even look pregnant. The other judge looked at him and said, you know what, it's none of our business. So the whole premise of Roe versus Wade is not whether you're pro-abortion, pro-life. It had nothing to do with that. Those types of groups were were uh, created after the fact. But what it was more about is about body autonomy, that what you do with your body is none of the government's business. Right. And that's it. Your reasonable expectation for privacy, uh, you're autonomous from your government, and that is is what it is. And so now we're coming in these positions where now they're trying to find all of these ways with tentacles in order to um, intervene or, or or just make these decisions, like so many tentacles in a pot that it just doesn't make any sense to me. It was based on the fact that I have a reasonable expectation for privacy. That is it. And I don't understand why they think that um, that was erroneous. Do they really want to know everybody's business? I mean, I personally am pro-life, but that was a choice. I made a choice. And I do not want my daughter to have to walk around with a rapist baby if that's what should happen. And God forbid that I ever would. But I don't want her to be forced in that position. They're also talking topic pregnancies. I mean, if a woman has a miscarriage and is in need of a DNC, it's considered an abortion. And we're talking jail time for homicide and the baby could already be gone. So a mother's got to carry around a dead fetus for months, mm -hmm. which could kill her within days. And it doesn't make any sense. And so it's not really just about this decision. It's about what this decision will do down the line. If they start grabbing at this, how many more things will they grab at if it's successful? Mm -hmm. And that's why we have to make it so it's not successful or 
we got to rein this in in a lot of ways before it it, it spreads too far out that it's it's going to be unmanageable down the line, if that makes sense. The lady's name, her real name, obviously Jane Roe, was you know just kind of a court moniker to hide her true identity. Her real name was Norma McCorvey. And I, I listened to a story on public radio about her upbringing, her background, and, and she actually had a very, very abusive background. Mother was a raging alcoholic, ends up staying with a relative at a young age, was repeatedly molested and raped by this person, goes on to a series of relationships that mirror that. The child that she wanted to abort was child number three and enter Texas. I mean, the first the first one was taken care of by a family member. The second one was put up for adoption into the third child. And then she's in Texas. Texas is like the star of the show when it comes to this conversation at every turn. But let me be clear about this. And I've said this on the show before. And there's no shame because it was nothing that I did personally. As a child, I was molested by a male family member. Right. I've learned to unveil that thing because as a seven year old kid, it was nothing that I did wrong. And upon talking to a lot of men, it's happened to a lot of men. Why am I saying that? Because I've heard people say, well, how, how often does pregnancy come from rape? I'm thinking, you know how common it is for men to have been molested and raped by men at an early age? I can only imagine how many girls have. And with that, not to mention women in their adulthood being raped. And so how often does pregnancy come from that? And I'm not saying that's the only circumstance, but it it saddens me when I hear people downplay, you know, different situations that may lead to this decision uh, as if it as if we have a a right to qualify someone's suffering and how they should handle it. Molly, you had your hand up. Marcus, I, I thank you for sharing. And I think as a brother and an ally, it's important to have these conversations and to pull in the biggest group that we can. But it's interesting that you talk about stories, right? Because when I say I'm one of one in four, that's 25%. I've talked to more women over the past two weeks that have never shared their story before that needed someone to talk to that needed that hug that needed that support and i think part of the reason why we're in the position that we're we are is that we have been silenced we have been attacked and there's some people out there that might be listening that are triggered that haven't been able to connect that haven't been able to share their story and, and I think, you know, by the silence, and I'm going to call it what it is from the patriarchy, we're continuing to be traumatized. I want to read a quote. And, you know, an article goes on by VOA.com, talks about 40 percent, this is a poll, 40 percent of Americans approved of the job of Supreme, the Supreme Court was doing. 40 percent. This is the lowest level since organizations started tracking the trend in 2000. 40 percent approval rating. And so this makes me think about the leak. One of the things that I read about the leak is actually in 1972, the Washington Post reported, quote unquote, details, details of the court's internal deliberations in the Roe v. Wade case before the justices announced their decision. But the entire document, the entire document, that has never happened ever in the history of the Supreme Court. And so it brings in the idea of 
bipartisanship, politicization. Um, He was very candid. President Trump, former President Trump said on multiple interviews that his goal was to put conservative judges on the Supreme Court so that he could overturn Roe v. Wade. He was, you have to give him credit for the honesty. He didn't hide his hand. He said, this is the goal. And so for the Supreme Court, I know Judge Roberts, he said it pains him that we are now viewed as this partisan organization. That's starting to feel like a genie that you cannot put back in the bottle. Christy, comment on that, please. I would just like to say that really bothers me because these folks are supposed to be the the fairness, right? It's supposed to be equal and fair. They're not supposed to be conservative or whatever, you know, liberal. It's supposed to be fair in what's right and best for the people of this nation. It shouldn't be what is my party's platform and how can I you know, side in that way. It's supposed to be what is best for the people of this nation and how can we make sure we're upholding the Constitution to do just that. And remember that this Constitution, in in many ways, is a breathing, it's a breathing document. Mm -hmm. It was written, you know, in times are changing and we also have to change with that. And so, you know, I will say that. And then I also want to say the one thing when you folks were talking about stories Um, briefly, I want to say the shame that we feel. When something bad happens to us, we, instead of, you know, seeking solace and talking to other people about it, we feel shame. And then we don't talk about what happened to us. And I felt throughout my life as a woman, and ever since I had my, my very first daughter, I've felt a lot of shame. And I still am coming to terms with the shame that I've felt and have felt um, put on me in trying to break that stigma. And so I think talking about these stories and talking about this, Frank, in a more frank way is so important. Mm-hmm. Heather. Um, I, when you're talking about the Constitution, the Constitution has no emotion, mm-hmm. and it shouldn't. I mean, it, that's when people get volatile, and that's when people make crazy decisions or, or just just not good choices. So this is about clear-cut, reasonable expectation for privacy. Your body's yours. It's none of my business. And that's we don't ask men how their prostate exams go. We, we don't regulate the things that go on with them. And it's always women. And, and I think that the Supreme Court has come to its unchecked power. And I want to, if you're listening, which you're probably not, want to applaud the leaker because now the Supreme Court is being held accountable through the public. They do it behind closed doors so the public cannot object till after the fact. Now it's before they've even publicly said anything. And I think that the leaker did a good job. I, I if I was in charge of that kind of material, I probably would do the same thing. And it could be somebody that is actually pro-life. But I do want to say one quick thing about this pro-life thing. They are not pro-life. We have to stop calling it that. It's pro-birth. Because once these children are born, they don't care if they eat. They don't care if they have housing. They don't care if their parents have a living wage job. They don't care about daycare, preschool, None of that. They care about nothing. And they won't spend money on their food, but they will spend a lot of money on prisons because they know these children that are in struggle, they can hoard them all up and fill those prisons Mm -hmm. that they've built for them. And 
so we have to stop calling it pro-life because it, it, there's no investment. All I have to do if I'm a pro-lifer is make sure you get born. And that is it. I don't have any other cares in the world. Once you're there, yep, got them born and I can move on to the next one. And so we have to understand, and that's really kind of callous. You know, when they go pro-life, it's supposed to be, oh, we care about these babies. We care. It's callous. You don't care. You care about getting them here. And then you abandon them afterwards. And that has that mentality has to be understood because this is not a pro-life situation. It's just not. Because what about the life of a mother and an atopic pregnancy? I had a man tell me one time, based upon his own personal value system, that one, he believed that life begins at conception, so he was pro-life. Two, he believed in family, and so, you know, he is committed to never getting a divorce. But he also stated, even though these are my deep-held convictions, it's not my place to say whether you should or shouldn't choose my outlook on it, be that abortion care or divorce. And so I know, again, these things have deep religious undertones and overtones, but it's just at the end of the day, your decision for your life is one thing, mm -hmm. but we're talking about people having the ability to make other decisions. Chrissy, you said earlier that life looks completely different. It really does in 2020, whether you're same-sex marriage mm -hmm. and you know, I, you look at the, you know, the, the state versus loving that decision in a racial marriage has only been legal. But so long in this country, we're at a point right now where the definition of family, all these different things, you know, on the public landscape have changed, mm -hmm. whether you love it or hate it. And so you saying, I want my neighbor to live as we do. Boy, that is murky waters no matter how you live because there's a lot of different choices being made so you know let's go back to the political aspect of this molly it's already been messy you know you're involved with an organization that i know is heavily is heavily involved with the political landscape and um has done a great job locally of promoting new voices into the the political debate how much messier is this going to get with the leak of this document the question should be, how much stronger are we going to get? Because we're out there organizing. We're having conversations. We actually, at our rally that we had on Saturday, we had a veteran speak that's standing with us. Mm -hmm. He did not go overseas to fight to have American women stripped of their rights at home. So we're going to be bolder. We're going to be more powerful. And we're going to continue organizing. Because other than that, I don't know what to do. This is literally, you're going to have to rip my rights from my clenched fist. Mm -hmm. Christy, speak to that. What does this do for the political landscape that is already bitterly divided? Well, I mean, it's. It, I think division at this point is, is, there's not a lot we can do about it. But I think organizing and having these conversations and the frank conversations is how we're going to start changing some, some minds here. Because we do have to change some minds. Um, I have close family members that also feel very, very strongly about the pro-life movement. And I'm consistently battling, what does that even mean, pro-life? Because I'll, I'll go back to what you said. And I, I firmly didn't feel like anyone cared about my life when I had my daughter at 20 years old. Um, as soon as she was born, I was knocked off my mother's insurance. I had no health care. I still had cancer. I, I you know, fought very hard to get, you know, food stamps <laughs> to take care of my family. And now here I am in a career. Uh, I have a roof over my head. You know, I've done everything that I thought was right. And I'm still struggling to get the medication for my kids and, and the health care they need and feel like I'm safe as a teacher in my schools and all the things that life really is about. So let's actually 
figure out what what we're doing here because it is just exactly like you're saying. It's a political move uh, where I think the majority, if you really have these conversations with them, you know, respect the right for us to make these decisions. And at the end of the day, if you don't want to have one, if you are pregnant and you don't have to have one and you, you don't want to have one, well, then don't have one. Right. It's your body. It's your God. It's your morals. It's your family. And it's your choice. We, like you said, we can't get into, you know, making our neighbors have the same beliefs and and decisions as we do. Mm -hmm. And we have to fight for that. And that is going to be political, but organizing and talking. Um, I just want to say that, you know, you're you're absolutely right about that. And, And we can't put ourselves in someone else's shoes and decide that they have to go and have a child that they can't raise. But what about Amy Cope? Coney Barrett, whatever her name is, who who said that, you know, the supply of babies for adoption, um, like what are handmaid's tale at its finest, like you're having these babies, whether you're raped, whether it's condom malfunction, I hope I'm allowed to say that, or, or whatever, right? And so you're having these babies and it's so that somebody else who wants a baby, they can't have one, can have it. Like, that's not my job to be a baby factory for somebody else. And that just does not seem ethical. But I do want to just say one one other quick thing is that Barack Obama, I was I was pro-life. My mom had, we were staunch Republican, like I said. She would said, you have to vote Republican because if you don't, you're going to go to hell because the Republicans saved the babies. And so I was a Bush voter until I found out Bush wasn't really voting for me. And Obama came and he said, well, in order to reduce abortions, we don't change Supreme Court rulings, we make affordable, accessible birth control. The less unwanted pregnancies, the less abortions. I'm like, huh. Like, that's such a simple concept. And I can't believe that we're arguing about this whole thing when that's that's true. You know, most people that plan a pregnancy don't get an abortion. There are certain circumstances that they might, health issues and so on and so forth. But if it's unplanned, you know, and, and keep in mind that there are men that are abusers that literally will do these things on purpose and get a woman pregnant so that they can have their claws and somebody. It's a form of abuse. And what do you do? Do you, I had a friend who had to have an abortion. The dude beat the crap out of her. She found out she was pregnant, and she did because she knew that if she had his baby, she would be forever tied to this abusive man that tried to kill her. So there are more than reasons other than birth control and so on and so forth. And and I just, as far as the Supreme Court, I think that, um, you know, the lifetime appointments make it so that they can be reckless. They can say whatever they want and do whatever they want. They can create chaos, and there's nothing that can be done about it. I think when we're organizing, we should be organizing to impeach the ones that lied, the ones that said that it was precedent and law of the land. Um, They lied to get on the Supreme Court in order to change it. We should be looking to impeach them because they can be impeached and and get get the bad apples out of the bunch. Molly? I just also want to add the importance of conversations. Um, And I know I'm rather militant in my position right now, but I'll be honest in saying when I was in high school, I went to a Catholic high school. I marched in pro-life marches. I was a part of my pro-life club. I had conversations. I had um, experiences. I grew into adulthood. And I no longer, 
felt the need to control, to place my religious views on others and really landed in a position, it's a person's choice. It might not be mine. And I can't judge anyone until I've been in those shoes. So I think a lot of it, you know, organizing, speaking out, but it's also having these conversations, um, connecting with people, and, and recognizing that a lot of us in our views and our positions, it's been years of growth to get to where we are. Mm. I look at the history of uh, Margaret Sanger and eugenics and the role it's played in the African-American community. And it leaves me with a lot of conflicts on a particular time. This is not a cut and dry subject, right? And so the, it can be very difficult once you start peeling back the layers. Everyone has to find out where they land on the particular topic. But again, to stay focused on the issue is the next person in your mind, do they have a right to choose something different than the conclusion that you landed on? That's at the core of this, because oftentimes we all argue this from, well, here's how I see it. We got it. But should that be forced on the next person? There's the question at the end of the day. Chrissy, I want to come back to you, and I, I want to get your reaction, starting with you anyways. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Texas Law SB8, what a controversial – I'm anxious to ask both, both groups about this one because for or against, I'm thinking, to allow people that have no skin in the game, mm -hmm. this vigilante law of I'm offended that you have aided this person – in this procedure, I'm offended that you're trying to get this procedure. I'm going to bring suit from the sidelines. How is that even possible? Give me, all of you, what was your reaction to this? I know earlier, Molly, you were like, you were sick to your stomach when you saw it. I have to admit, I just, legislatively, I scratched my head like, wow, that is wildly controversial. What were your thoughts? No way. Like, <laughs> my thoughts are just, this is, this is ludicrous, r ridiculous. Uh, and some people are arguing giving uh, the rights to the states to decide. This is a good thing. And you see what each state is kind of coming up with. It's not because, okay, well, look at it this way. If you live in the middle of Texas and you become pregnant and you would like to obtain an abortion, what people are saying, and this one always baffles me, well, then just go somewhere else. Well, I thought you thought I shouldn't do this. But now you're saying, well, if you can go somewhere else, go somewhere else. So it's okay for me to do it in a different state, but not in this state. Do you know what I'm saying? Now we're getting into that murky water of like, well, is it or is it not okay? And then who are you Who are you punishing when you do that type of thing? Who are the folks that are still able to get an abortion? It's going to be the people that have the money. It's going to be the people that have the means. The folks that are not going to be able to do it are going to be the people that uh, can't miss work. It's going to be the folks that don't have transportation. Um, so that just kind of just really solidified for me why leaving it up to the states in that capacity is just bad news. Mm -hmm. It's just not it's not right. It's not fair. I shouldn't have to drive five hours to find a, a state that will allow me this service. Right. Or do you know what I mean? It's mm -hmm. just not right. I plug this in before we go to the next person on that. You know, you quoted Heather, uh, former President Obama, on affordable contraceptive, mm -hmm. you know, contraceptives to prevent pregnancies. Right. Myself and every single person in my inner circle have all had vasectomies once we decided I'm done. Right. <laughs> we made that choice. And, you know. At the end of the day, when you say that that sounds like a very simple concept, for us, it well, I don't want to have any more children. 
This is our limit. We spoke to our significant others and spouses about it. Decision was made. So SBA, Texas, Heather, I know that you're a big legal beagle, as they say. When that law was was enacted, what were you thinking? I think it's ridiculous that um, that I could literally, I'm thinking of all the ways I could cash in on $10,000. I'm going, geez, let me just see if somebody's talking about getting an abortion up. And I'll be like, oh, you want to get an abortion and file suit. Only reason why anything like that should happen is to bring the ludicrousness to the forefront, right? To have somebody actually go to do it so it can be fought all the way up to the Supreme Court and be deemed stupid. But we have to... Um, Keep in mind that a lot of these, once uh, I think Amy Comey Barrett, whatever her name is again, um, was was up for this uh, Supreme Court position, a lot of the states started making these draconian, crazy abortion laws. And the reason why they do that is because it goes up through the courts. Mm-hmm. Once it goes through the initial court and the Court of Appeals and all these other things to get to the Supreme Court in order to be the ruling that would overturn Wade. And I knew that there was going to be uh, just huge amounts of these cases coming in or these dumb laws because they wanted to get it to the Supreme Court. So it could they were almost guaranteed in ways that Roe was going to be overturned. But the only way that the Supreme Court can even hear a case is if there's cases of the lower courts that have been decided in a way that the person filing it does not agree with. So it goes through a whole channel. So I, I just um, that's. That's that. But I want to say kudos to um, Connecticut because the Connecticut, where it is legal, the governor said that anybody coming across, he wrote a bill that anybody coming across that would be subjected to those penalties of the little suing thing, um, that he would exempt them. So there is a law that exempts them from any type of financial um, litigation or suing, or anybody that's bringing them there in order to get an abortion. He wrote a law to exempt them from that. So we need more states to start being more cognizant of what this really means and and to start putting things in place that can protect women. It's almost like a counteract, you know what I mean? A preemptive attack to a problem that could potentially uh, snowball and get out of control. Molly, your thoughts on Texas SB8 law, which essentially you financially incentivize people mm-hmm. to play vigilante. So I think to answer the question, this isn't just about Texas. There's other laws in state houses, state legislatures. I believe it was Oklahoma was going to create a registry of pregnant women that has to contact the state in order to access reproductive health care. Here in the state of Pennsylvania, the Senate Health Committee, Senator Brooks, just allowed a constitutional amendment to put our rights on the ballot out of the Senate Health Committee. So not to be disrespectful and deflect your question, I think there's a lot of other state capitals that we need to be focusing on, including our own in Harrisburg. That's an excellent segue. I'm going to read again from this article in Time.com about what would happen if Roe V. Wade was overturned, and it says abortion would likely remain legal in about half of U.S. states, but legislators in at least 22 states, mostly in the Midwest and South, would almost certainly move to ban or substantially restrict access to abortion. To your point, Molly, per the Center of for Reproductive Rights, the following states are likely to ban abortion if Roe is overturned. Alabama, Arizona, Arkansas, Georgia, Idaho, Indiana, 
Kentucky, Louisiana, Michigan, Mississippi, Missouri, Nebraska, North Carolina, North Dakota, Ohio, Oklahoma, Pennsylvania, South Carolina, South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, West Virginia, and Wisconsin. Says some abortion rights groups believe Florida, Iowa, Montana, and Wyoming would also be added to the list. Let me add this. We talk about trigger trigger laws. It goes on to say so-called trigger laws were designated to make abortion illegal in states as soon as the Supreme Court would allow it. And so far, legislators in 15 states have passed these laws, which will take effect automatically or by swift state action if Roe is overturned. Of these, Arkansas, Idaho, Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, Missouri, North Dakota, Oklahoma, South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, and Wyoming. So to your point, Molly, even though Texas has been at the forefront of a lot of these arguments, and obviously this this latest challenge was uh, the catalyst was Mississippi or the case there, but this is so much bigger than Texas. So I heard all of you women in some way, shape, or form, uh, Molly and Christy, especially talking about being organized and whatever your take is on this matter, that seems to be exactly what is in order if this is something that you agree with or disagree with. People are digging their heels in these trigger laws. What do you think the United States will look like once, if this come to fruition, if, if these many states say, hey, we're with them in this state. It ain't happening. What does this country look like going forward? Because I've already I've already felt like leading up to this moment, we're in unprecedented times. I feel like that we're in a digital civil war, first of all. And I think that that digital civil war is slowly but surely spilling over into reality. Look at what's going on in Buffalo. Right. You look at what what happened in North Carolina. I mean, all of these different cases around the country, these things are bubbling up to the surface politically. These things started to be front and center. I was reading something on replacement theory when I was researching the Buffalo shooting. And the, the idea of replacement theory has been espoused on Tucker Carlson's show on Fox over 400 episodes over 400 episodes. And so I look at how divided we are. What does this country look like if this comes to fruition, in your opinions? I think it looks like The Handmaid's Tale. And um, we also have to keep in mind... Say more about that for people who are not familiar with The Handmaid's Tale. So I watched a series, which I'm surprised I watched it as long as I did, and they would grab these women that they that were of childbearing age, they thought were... Uh, promiscuous or they've done something wrong and now they're supposed to serve their community and they would take them away and they would be owned by families. And the there would come a time of a ceremony where the wife would sit on the bed, hold the handmaid um, down while the husband raped her to get her pregnant. And she they would carry the baby to term and it would go to the, um, the host family, I guess you can call it. Um, and it's horrific, um, the abuse that I was seeing in this in this show. And I don't know how much it's based on real life, but it really seems like that, that these women are at beck and call. They had to do exactly what they were told. I mean, whenever the guy felt like he was going to do whatever. And, and for a woman to just literally sit there and hold another one down mm-hmm. to um, watch that happen. 
because I guess it would be kind of weird for them to have sex by themselves without the wife watching. Right, crazy. <laughs> and no, I wanted you. I wanted you to go there briefly because a lot of people may not be familiar with it. That sounds to the listener that has never seen this. That may sound extreme to a different listener. That long list of states that I rattled off sounds very extreme. Go ahead with your point. So what we have to keep in mind is this, is even though we have states like Connecticut right now that are, are pro-choice, um, you know, that allow abortions, that if they get a different governor, that will change. So the reason why the Supreme Court decision is so important is because it's a law of the land and federal law supersedes state and local law. So as long as we have on a federal level that abortion is legal, then the states cannot infringe upon that. And I know some states are doing that now, but like I said, they were doing that so it could get to the Supreme Court to change, you know, the law of the land. So we have to keep that in mind and not rest and say, oh, we'll just go to Connecticut or, oh, we'll just go here because it's legal because we don't know how long it will be legal. Roe versus Wade was was the law of the land for 50 years. And now all of a sudden one fair swoop over potentially. Now I'm hoping all this backlash and, and I agree with people protesting on their lawns. Look, I, I I agree with that. I'd be there if I could get there. Um, you know, you're a public figure. You have a right to petition your government or redress of grievances. People have a grievance, and, and they have the right to do that. But um, hopefully with all of this pressure, um, because, you know, Judge Thomas, he said that he felt that the Supreme Court will no longer have any credibility because of the leak. I mean, I don't know what the difference is, really, honestly. Like, it leaked, but that was your decision. So right. whether we know it beforehand or, or afterhand, I mean, why is the credibility? Because we find out beforehand um, any any less than it was if you waited till June and said, hey, guess what? We're overturning Roe. It, it doesn't make any sense. But these are people in power that are not elected. They're appointed. It's a lifetime appointment. Something's got to change with that. There has to be a better procedure than impeachment because, you know, with a 50-50 House or whatever we have, it, or Senate, sorry, um, it's going to be difficult to get enough people to um, – to, to impeach a justice. I don't think any that's ever happened. I mean, if it did, it's probably only been once or twice. So those are those, we have to get to the root of the problem. Right. A lot of times we're just putting band-aids on it, and, and, and we're just, you know, these are symptoms of a bigger problem. And until we get to the root of the problem, we're never going to get rid of the symptoms ever. Again, I think that the Supreme Court's image of being bipartisan is pretty much forever lost at this point. Molly, give us your thoughts on these. You know, I refuse to accept a post-Roe world. To accept and admit and talk about it is to admit defeat. Um, right now, what we can do is focus on all major battlegrounds. We have to protect the veto power in Pennsylvania. We have to fight back against Senate Bill 956, which will put our rights on the ballot and supersede and override. The gov governor doesn't get a voice in that. And... The state-by-state state approach is not how we won the vote. Pennsylvania in 1915 voted down on the ballot giving women the right to vote. It was the federal government that stepped up and gave that right. Granted, they didn't give. We fought for it. We won. But the state-by-state state approach, I am not selling out my sisters in Ohio by not fighting for them, by only fighting for my, myself in Pennsylvania and others. It's on the federal government to step up just like they did when it came to granting the right to vote to protect these rights 
The Senate needs to end the filibuster, pass the Women's Health Care Protection Act. And not only that, women have been winning elections for years. It's time for us, if that filibuster ends, it's not just about women's rights. It's about voting rights. It's about the George Floyd Act. It's about all the legislation that hasn't been passed. Mm. Chrissy, give us your thoughts. Uh, so echoing a lot of what you just said, I, I'm i an optimist. So I'm looking at this as, as okay, you know, if this actually goes down, then I I just get enraged with more, you know, motivation to do something about it. And if you actually look at the landscape of this nation, uh, decade after decade, uh, we are supporting a lot of the things that we're talking about right now. We do want to have equal access to vote. We do support um, the LGBTQ. We, we support all of those things in majority. And the way that the other side is stopping us is by trying to prevent us from having a voice, which is voting. So we need to support uh, access to the ballot and in and, and as many ways that we can because right now they just want it to be something that, if again, a privilege that you can do. Do you have ID? You have to go to the polls. Those are all things that are preventing people like myself even from getting to the polls. I've missed votes as a young mother. There's no way that I could get from one place and still get my kids and get to a poll and all of those types of things. So then my voice is the voice that's not counted. But my voice is the majority of this nation. Mm-hmm. We do want folks to have the right. We do want equality here in the United States. And so I think they're up for a rude awakening. If they want to keep on poking the bear, they're going to find out. And we're going to take these seats. We're going to elect people that are going to do the right thing for the actual people of this nation and stop using our bodies and other people and their beliefs as pawns to win. This isn't a winner's take all type of situation. We all have a voice here, and that's what we need to be fighting for. Because mm-hmm. when we do, we win. So, people that are pro life will say that when you start talking about voting rights and don't say gay bills and critical race theory and, you know, not passing the George Floyd bill, but you, you pass the Asian hate bill, you know, oh, that's muddy in the waters. Let's stick with this one particular topic. And again, you know, I, I'm anxious to get the feedback on this when the room is reversed. But for others, they believe that this is just yet another example of the fight for the soul of America, that essentially you have a group of people that want to force Americans on seeing life a certain way and that this is a separate and that this isn't a separate issue. This is a culture war. What are your ladies thoughts on this as we go to the finish line? I'll say that I agree. I, I say it's a culture war through and through. And um, and that is part of the issue. And But we're also not taking into account the full culture of this nation, right. which is a huge, a huge problem. The biggest problem, honestly, that we have. And so, you know, I just really echo that and why this is so important and that we just have to keep on pushing through because it is it's a it's a battle. We see it in the media. Right. We see the division being sowed between all of us. And that's by design, mm-hmm. because in general, I, I've always been taught to love thy neighbor and to help each other and everyone makes their own decisions and it's between you and your God or you and your religion or you and yourself, but we're all here to support each other. And now we're like, we've been moving away from that, that it's to each, you know, everyone's on their own except for certain things. Mm-hmm. I'm going to decide whether you have a family or when you're done having children. And I'll add this one last plug. 
I um I remember after my second daughter, I was like, I don't think I'm gonna have more. I'm not sure. And um, I was told that I had to wait until I was 30 years old before I could get my tubes tied. I was told that. Like, I wasn't even allowed to make that decision even after I had children. What if you want to have more? Well, okay, it's my decision. So there's just so many things going on here. And the culture part of it is is a lot of what's dividing us, even though Mm -hmm. I think in general we don't as a whole feel that way. Heather, is this just one battle in – is this just a battle in one huge culture war, is this a separate issue? What are your thoughts on that? I, I think that there are a lot of battles kind of rolled into one. When you think of how many ways that this is interconnected to other things, it's just huge. I, I just want to say that when it comes to cultural war, it just seems as though lately the Republicans are the Christians and Democrats are heathens. It's like they don't know that Democrats go to church. And it's- I actually want to go there with the next group because that does feel like, at, at speaking as a Christian, mm-hmm. that genuinely feels like the prevailing thought. And the Republicans that are listening, don't get offended. I'm going to ask that when it is a pro-life team at the table because that's a very consistent thought. Go ahead, Heather. Yeah, so, you know, it, it's a lot of things. When I'm I'm not a Biden supporter either. I didn't, not Trump either. But my, my biggest thing about that is that, you know, when Biden or even Trump passed those um, – stimulus checks and all of these other things, it, it's like people on the other side were mad, but they still received it, right? And, and they, they don't, people don't understand that if Joe Biden gives you, or even Trump gives you $5,000, everybody gets it. It wasn't just the Democrats that got it. It wasn't just the Republicans that got it. Everybody gets it. But we also do not have like, Democrats are religious too. Like, I, I just, mm-hmm. I just feel like we're heathens. <laughs> yeah, the, the pay protection, the, the money that was issued to make up for, you know, wages and everything else. I know a lot of staunch Republicans that are business owners and they submitted applications. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. They took advantage of the perk. Right. Exactly. They were, they were completely against it, but they submitted applications and said, OK, well, you know, hey. And so it was very interesting. Parting shots. Uh, let's go around the, the table. Um, Molly, we'll start with you. Give us your last thoughts on this particular topic, the potential of Roe v. Wade being overturned. What do you want people listening to consider as we leave today? Now is not the time to be silent. Now is not the time to be complicit. Now is the time to stand up. Whether that's having challenging conversations with your friends and family and neighbors from a a place of love, but having those conversations, getting engaged, whether that's calling your your reps, your senators, obviously voting today, attending a rally. I invite folks to like our Erie County United Facebook page, just to put in a little plug because we're actively organizing. So if folks are interested, looking for a place to go, come to us. You'll be you'll find a home uh, to organize around this issue. But it's not over. It's not over, and, and we. Uh, we can keep going the path we have, or we can choose a different direction. Mm-hmm. And for those that want to choose a different direction, stand up, have those conversations. Let's organize. I like to have those conversations before I go to Christy because mm-hmm. this is a nuanced discussion for everyone. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love Heather's point that I'm pro-life that believes you have a right to choose it, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, it, this thing is not at the risk of it sounding redundant. This is not cut and dry topic whatsoever christy parting shots what do you want people to consider as this comes to a close yeah uh, um 
think about all of the people that you love in your life and think about the percentage of those folks that have had to deal with this exact topic first and foremost. Um, you know, it's it's quite a large number of, uh, of folks. Um, and I think with that, we, we have no room for apathy. And the most important thing, the most important thing we can do is vote. We have to show up to vote. Uh, it is the one chance that we have to let folks know how we feel about something. Vote twice a year, every year. Every election is important. Every office has some bearing on all of the decisions we make, down from your local supervisors and your mayors, all the way up to your United States senators and president. Every single one of those folks that are going to represent you at all the different levels have some type of sway and say in your everyday life. So please, please, please make sure that you're voting. You know something? Thank you for that. After seeing this, I promise you, I said to myself, regardless of how you feel about this issue, if the apathetic numbers that we've been seeing for voter turnout doesn't change after this, if this doesn't move the needle, I don't know what will. You are so right. Regardless of where you stand on this issue, one of the first things you should be saying to yourself is, I got to get to the polls. If you haven't been voting for whatever reason, let me say, please reconsider that, regardless of how you vote. Whether it's raining or not, I don't know why rain has the low turnout every time. Well, it's raining. Well, what's, what does that have to do? I'm a golfer. When it's raining, if it's not storming, people are still out there golfing. We're talking about voting. I digress. Heather, parting shots. What do you want people to consider as we close the show today? I, I want people to consider that this is really about men making decisions for women and keeping them under their thumb. A man can purposely rape a woman because he wants her to have his baby so he can keep his claws. I'm just talking on on uh, an abuse survivor standpoint. And, and I think that these men, um, you know, we can't get birth control, but they get Viagra. Like... You know, there are there there are a lot of like, I don't know, contradictory, you know, points that they're making where where their bodies are sacred, but ours are not. And our bodies are the ones that gave them the life that they have. If it weren't for a woman, they as a man would not be here. Mm -hmm. And, And I understand men have a part in it, but I had to carry five kids nine months, you know, once their father's job was done, then, you know, the rest of the work was on me until the child gets here. And then that's when fathers, you know, become more participatory and involved. So I I just, I think that we need to start. Equality really is what it's about. Mm. This has been next with, uh, on WQLN with Marcus Atkinson. This has been part one of this discussion on the potential overturning of Roe v. Wade. Tune in next month for part two, and we will represent the other side of this particular debate. I want to thank you ladies so much. Christy Genevis, uh, Molly Brechtel, Heather Garzinski, thank you so much for bringing your passion to the mic. Thank you, the listener and the viewer, for tuning in. Again, if you want to uh, catch our show on the radio, you can tune in the fourth Sunday of the month at 91.3 FM. I'm your host, Marcus Atkinson. For next on WQLN, we will see you next time.